You're listening to the Food Freedom Life Podcast. My name is Brittany Allison, and I spent six plus years stuck in diet binge cycles, hating my body, and envying others who seem to have it all because I never felt enough. What I discovered in my journey to food freedom and becoming a registered dietitian is this. You can either live your life at war with your mind or learn to work in sync with it. So if you're ready to learn how to be in tune with yourself and evolve your life, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, we have a very special guest. I was on her podcast. We were talking about it. We couldn't figure out exactly when it was. We think it was back in the fall because time has just flown between then and now. But now she's here on my podcast. We have Elena, who is also known as the binge eating dietitian. Elena is a registered dietitian who helps women heal their relationship with food, their bodies and fitness. And through her own journey to food freedom, after five years of struggling with binge eating and amenorrhea, she developed a passion for helping other women overcome similar struggles. Elena now offers online coaching to women around the world, and her specialty is helping fitness and health conscious women stop binging so they can live to be healthy, happy, and live a full life that they desire. Hey, Elena, so happy to have you on the show. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, how's it going? You know, life is a roller coaster, just trying to ride the waves. (laughs) (laughs) One day at a time, one moment at a time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday started with me doing a client call and then going back to bed for an hour and a half. So like, you know, nice. (laughs) Every day is a little bit different. Today I feel fine. So it's, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's wild. Some days I'm like, everything's going to shit and I'm never going to feel better. And then other days I'm like, wow, like today I'm like bouncing around singing and I'm like, I don't have a mood disorder like that I know of. This is just me being me. So yeah, it's interesting. That I know of being the <laughs> that I know of, yeah, yeah, being a key, a key yeah. part there. <laughs> yeah. So maybe getting into a little bit about you, you talk a lot on your Instagram page about you know your history with food and your body. Could you maybe share with our listeners a little bit more about you and your relationship with food, your body, and exercise over the years? Yeah. So growing up. I always, I, food wasn't really an issue for me. I always loved food. Um, and like, you know, I loved sweets and, you know, it was always kind of like a, a joke that like, you know, I, oh, I wasn't a picky eater. My first solid food, my mom fed me was flounder and I ate like the, she like turned around and like the entire piece of fish that she had boiled and like put in front of me was gone. Like I just slurped it all up. So I always loved food. I always like had a big appetite, but it wasn't something that I had. I don't think I'd internalized those messages yet that that was like a bad thing for a woman Mm. and or a girl at that time until I hit started to started to hit puberty. And um, I always was bigger than my friends. And I guess I get, I, I, I received some messages about that from like people, teachers, like it, there's looking back, there's things that I remember. Right. But it didn't really emotionally, negatively, emotionally impact me until around puberty when I realized like, oh, I'm bigger than all my friends. Um, you know, people, boys, kids, some kids calling me fat on the playground and stuff like that. Um, and then starting to you know, like boys and care about what the opposite sex thought of me, then it all started where I was started to become self-conscious. Before that point, I don't really remember being very self-conscious. I was pretty confident and, you know, not trying to hide my body or wish my body looked different or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's when that the body image issue started where it was around like 13, 11, probably 11. Um, And then from there, it, it just continued until I finally started dieting 
um, in high school. And then that's when my relationship with food started to take a downward trend. Yeah. When you kind of started to have more autonomy and control over what you were eating, that kind of took all the body image issues that you had and ones that were created, which is so sad, but it's so common from other people, right? When you don't even have these things necessarily happening internally, it's like other people project it onto your life and it starts to yeah, turn yeah. into this really ugly thing. Yeah. Plus you become more, con- I think you're just becoming more conscious. And like, yeah. as you're hitting that age, as a girl, you're starting to like pick all the, all the little, me- all the little internalized, because you know how people post these things now where um they'll be like, oh, look at this clip from like Peter Pan and like how, yeah. look at how like Tinkerbell is looking at her body. Like this is the shit that we grew up seeing and I wouldn't even remember that like that there was anything body image related in Peter Pan you know I wouldn't even think about that but those little things everything we're seeing in movies and shows hearing adults say I feel like it almost starts to add up and then as you start to hit that age where you're also starting to think about like being desirable it all Mm kind of comes to a head and so I feel like that's what happened for me Um, and then, yeah, I mean, my mom was also always had body image issues and she was like a dieter and did different diets and was very like holistic health type mindset of like, let's be like really healthy and let's do all these weird cleanses and stuff like that. And so she had plenty of, of reading materials that I could go to, you know, for different diets at that age. And, um, yeah, so I kind of just got into that. And then that's when I started to feel, you know, like this, this, I wasn't binging having full-blown binges yet, but this kind of like push and pull with food where I was like, no, I shouldn't eat that. And then Mm. feeling kind of obsessed with the food and then feeling bad when I ate more and it kind of just snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. Kind of getting away from your story, just to maybe insert something here. Would you say that most of your clients have had parents who diet? Most, I wouldn't say most, actually, I would say maybe maybe 60, 40 or half and half. I've definitely had plenty of clients where they were like, yeah, my parents, you know, they, I guess there's a different, like there's dieting. I've definitely had parents um, who, or clients whose parents were very critical of their bodies and, Mm -hmm. um, or were very critical in general, or like, I see more commonly in my clients when we end up talking about their childhoods, more like kind of uh, sort of, I would not, not maybe sometimes trauma, but kind of like just a lack of love, sort of. Yeah, I see that more actually, but definitely, obviously, dieting and the way that your parents talk about their bodies and food impacts things a lot. But I think it can happen from a lot for a lot of different reasons, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that parents are necessarily, I mean, sometimes perhaps, but they're not always necessarily 100% to blame. But that's really interesting about the kind of the lack of love piece and how maybe that gets combined with body image issues that are already there and turns into using your body as a tool to find love or gain acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see that, that I see that, um, that archetype or whatever play out a lot in my clients and Mm -hmm. it makes sense how that creates this like people pleasing and perfectionism and then 
having that sort of personality type and then being a woman in our society and maybe also not fitting like the standard of beauty or, or thinness when you're younger. I feel like mm-hmm. that can create a perfect storm. That definitely wasn't the case for me. I had a very loving, unconditionally loving household, but I also had a very unstable mother and like very emotionally unstable, very like depressed when I was younger. And so I think like, that's where people pleasing came from for me was just wanting to make sure everyone was happy. Everyone was calm, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You kind of stepped into that caretaking role and maybe started to ignore yourself a little bit more than you should have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when did it start to turn into binge eating for you? Would you say? So the first, my first like ever binge was actually in my junior year of high school. Like I went through this phase where I was trying to diet and trying to lose weight and trying to start exercising, but I couldn't really stick to anything. And I was doing all these weird, crazy different diets. And, um, I was doing some diet where, you know, it was like a food combining thing. You can only eat like certain types of foods on certain days. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had like a bag of chocolate covered treats in my um, closet from some bat mitzvah or something I went to. <laughs> and I was sitting in my room and it was like only like beef and cabbage soup or something this day. And I was just like, I can't fucking do this. And just went in my closet and ate everything. And then I remember just like immediately starting to cry after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like very, that was very minute compared to where my binges eventually went to later on. But that was my first real binge experience. Um, And then I don't remember anything as emotionally impactful as that. After that period, I continued to struggle to try to like be quote unquote consistent with my diet and my exercise until I did this 10 day cleanse where I literally ate nothing. I think I may have told you about this before. Um, This was like the turning point for me. I really think this instilled like an anorexic mindset into, into my brain where I was like, wow, I can literally just not eat anything for 10 days. And like, I proved to myself, quote unquote, like, oh, I could do this. And, you know, I got that sense of like discipline and willpower of like, if I really want to do something, like I can do it like at all costs. And I felt like when I did that, like, I felt like my face changed. Like I lost obviously a bunch of water weight. And then I was getting all these compliments in school. People, it was actually a big thing. Cause like I went to a small school and I was just carrying around this like lemon water with cayenne pepper every day and like not eating. And I was like making it known. I was like kind of showing that off and everyone was like, you know, it was like a thing. Like people were like, Oh, Elena, you're doing that. Like that's wild, whatever. And I was just an attention whore. You know, I just wanted attention. So Um, yeah, that, that really threw me over the edge into like, okay, from that point forward, then I started exercising every day. I started tracking my calories. I was like, I am not losing this. And it all went from there. And then Mm -hmm. my binging started up again, where it became a chronic thing, probably about a year after that. Yeah. The attention really messes with your mind. Like it feels so good that you want to just latch onto that and keep it going at any cost. And there's also this really weird, and I definitely experienced this too, almost superiority complex that happens when you are like getting the validation, when you are sticking to something that is super hard that, you know, other people can't do. And it also creates just a sense of weird denial with the binges of like, well, that's just not happening. Like, cause I'm doing all these other things and that's canceling it out. And so it's fine and whatever. And let me sweep it under the rug and not, not look any more into it and pretend that it's not happening. And yeah, it's this really scary thing that happens. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when you're insecure, like everyone, of course, loves attention. Um, I think, uh, well, not everyone loves attention, but I think there's definitely something innate in humans that like we like social acceptance and like social praise, of course, like we're all of us are going to like that. But when you are already an insecure person and people wouldn't have thought of me as insecure because externally I like give off a confident vibe but like internally there's a lot of there's a lot more shit going on in my head you know where there is insecurity and that was definitely the case for me back then even more and that's I think where a lot of these more extreme eating disorder behaviors come from is like you're actually insecure and so when you get all that praise then you become super like okay I will do, I will make big sacrifices in order to keep this because it's like, I need this. If I don't have this, I don't know, you know, I can't be happy with myself, you know? Yeah. And it also creates this really problematic relationship too, where you do find that confidence boost from getting all of this validation. And it almost can make somebody feel like I can only be confident when I am in this body or when I'm doing these things which is so hard to kind of unlearn as you go through the recovery process. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. It's a really big thing. And so going back to kind of what you said before, you mentioned like perfectionism and maybe kind of type A personalities. They're more, you know, likely to experience disordered eating and eating disorders. Is this often the type of client that you see in your practice and why, why do you think that this is? Yeah, definitely. Most of my clients would be classed as type A and I see, you know, perfectionistic tendencies in all of them, black and white thinking, um, Mm -hmm. just like, and low self-worth. I think perfectionism comes a lot from low self-worth because you just, if you feel like you're not good enough, then you're going to try to be completely perfect so that if you're perfect, then you can feel good enough. But if you're not, then you're a piece of shit. Like it's this very black and white thing. So where that comes from, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I have read a lot about it. You know, I think that a lot of it does come from sometimes, you know, very traumatic experiences in childhood or, you know, alcoholic parents or parents who were unhappy or, you know, like in my situation, you know, having someone who's very close to you be sort of unstable or unhappy. And maybe there's something innate in our consciousness too as it forms where we just want to be peacekeepers or we want um we want that or or we have some insecurities instilled in us for some reason and so we become because people pleasing and perfectionism go together you know mm-hmm. it's like you want to also you it's it's a, it's a controlling type personality like you want to control how other people feel you want to control your environment make sure everything's happy and not uncomfortable you want to control yourself you want to um like you're, it's, it comes from fear a lot too. Like when I was growing up, I had a huge fear. I obviously we all do. And I still do, but like a fear of death. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of kids have this, but like, this will still happen to me when I think about the fact that I'm going to die sometimes like in bed at night, I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, I like don't know what to do with my body. Cause it's just the thing, the thought of like, this is all going to end. And I don't have a spiritual or like, I don't have like a faith. So the fact that it's all going to end and there's just gonna be nothingness. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, like what? And that would happen to me when I was a kid too. And I just think that very fearful personality leads you to want to control everything. Mm -hmm. So I think those things all go together. Um, And then it just gets transferred into different areas. You know, your body image, food, business, relationships, you know? Yeah. It kind of seeps into every area of your life. And with other areas, I mean, 
maybe you can have total control or near total control, but food is just not the same. You can't totally control your food, at least not forever. There has to be a stopping point because there's innately that emotional component to food where it can't just be, you know, nutrients or it can't just be calories. It needs to be comfort and culture and nostalgia and creativity and all these other really beautiful things. And so when we try to be perfectionists with food, it drives you into the ground eventually. Yeah. Maintain it. Yeah. And you can't totally control how your body looks. You can't totally control the fact that we live in a society where certain bodies are going to be awarded certain, there's going to be a benefit for them to looking a certain way or being a certain size. We don't have control over any of that, that some people may judge you or may think differently of you or may look down on you based Mm -hmm. on how your body looks. That does exist. You know, Um, there, I think the antidote to that is focusing on what you can control. And I saw, um, Michaela, I forget what her last name, Michaela Petula. She's, um, food piece nutritionist, I believe she posted something yesterday that was really good where she's kind of talking about this. And she was saying like the things that you can control are your friends, you know, who you hang out with, who you surround yourself with, um, and some other things, but yeah, like there are, there are all these things that, that it's shitty to accept that this is how things are, but also there's so much, it's not only that, like you do have Mm -hmm. control over who you spend your time with. You do have control over so many other things, but yeah, you don't have control over how your body looks to a certain extent. You, you do like you can, you know, there's an equation where if you do X, Y, and Z, you can manipulate how your body looks, but out, something's going to give, you know, it's not like that comes at no cost that comes at no side effect. And then you have to decide if that's something that you want to tolerate, you know, it's, it's hard. Cause I think that such an important part of healing is just rejecting, changing your body and like working towards acceptance and all of that. But we can't also deny that you can manipulate your body to a certain extent, but that's the kind of key there. Right? It's like to a certain extent without sacrificing your life and your time and your energy, your relationships, social events. If you start genuinely eating a more balanced diet, moving your body more, like your body very well might change. It might not because maybe your body doesn't want to, or there's other things going on or, or who knows, but we, we can't control our bodies as much as we think we can. And if that's not going to fit within your lifestyle or within being a parent or working a certain job or chronic illnesses, whatever else is going on in your life, that's going to run head to head with the perfectionism and the need for control. It's going to really steamroll you. Yeah. And I really do believe the more you try to control, the more out of control you ultimately feel in so many areas yeah. of life, especially when you're trying to control things that you really don't have that much control over. And also like you can't control, even if you did diet, exercise, make your body look a certain way, you still can't control something could happen to you, God forbid, where you get injured or, Mm. you know, when you have a baby, your body's going to change and you're as much as you could try to do X, Y, and Z, there's still gonna be changes that are going to happen that you can't avoid. So it's like, how much energy are you willing to put into that? And, you know, just really taking a good look at 
what is the cost, the cost benefit analysis, basically, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and also why we feel the need to change our body so much and the cultural forces at like beyond just like, oh, well, because everyone knows it's better to be thin or it's better to do X, Y, and Z. Like, okay, why? Like, let's actually look deeper into that narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. Let's peel back the layers of the onion and actually look into it, not actually just go along with these kind of same things that you've heard your whole life for you. Let's actually look deeper and figure out what you want to get out of that because a lot of people don't do that yeah yeah don't do that and they think that you know weight loss is the key to everything when in fact I mean it's not often your life is not really going to change if you lose weight you'll just be doing the same things but smaller and does that really need to happen necessarily especially if you have to sacrifice all of these things in order to actually get there yeah. And, you know, you might get more compliments, you might get more looks or from certain, you know, people, you might get treated better, especially by like, um, heterosexual men. If you're a woman, like d- definitely that could be, that could be a thing, but does it change? Like, does it really change who you're friends with, who you like to spend your time with, how your friends who are truly your friends treat you? usually when my clients, all of my clients, when they go through recovery, of course, there's all these hard parts, but they're like, you know, my, my family tells me like, oh, they have, they feel like they have me back again. Like I'm myself again. My friends tell me like, I I seem happier and like more like chill and like they, Mm -hmm. I'm more fun to be around. Like that's the stuff that ultimately really, really, really matters. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, you know, with fat phobia and especially people in larger bodies or much larger bodies, that's, that is a, like, I think that people are treated even worse. And I think there's research about, you know, being awarded certain opportunities at work and stuff like that, depending on your body size as well. And we can't dismiss that, you know, so it's up to someone to decide how they want to respond to that sort of uh, prejudice or oppression, whatever you want to call it, but it's a complicated issue. It is a really complicated issue. And we can't, like you said, deny that people are treated differently when they are in larger bodies. And that is something that I talked about in my podcast episode with Brie, uh, Body Image with Brie. She did a really great job of kind of explaining that and talking about that more. And I think it is important to kind of turn to people who are in larger bodies, who have the lived experience and can kind of, you know, coach other people through it because you you and I were in smaller bodies and we can't necessarily know exactly what that's like but um you know recovery is still for everybody food freedom is still for everybody regardless of what size you are and I think that this also leads into a good conversation about you know perfectionism and that type a personality and maybe also that conversation on fat phobia and how does that play into the fear of weight gain for people like how do people actually overcome that yeah yeah so for my clients the way they overcome it is they basically just get to a point where they're more afraid of staying stuck where they are um than they're afraid than they are afraid of gaining weight And I actually find it's a lot easier for my clients who struggle with binge eating to overcome the fear of weight gain than it is my clients who are, you know, more on like the, you know, just only restriction and binging's not happening. And, you know, there's Mm -hmm. other things are happening, like their period is missing or they're thinking about food all, all the time and their life has become very small. But when you're binging, it's like the fear of weight gain is still there, but you also feel like even if 
like either way, I'm not even going to be able to control my weight because I'm binging. So it's like, I might as well just let go of it because it's not even going to work anyways. Mm -hmm. So that honestly helps people who are, who are experiencing full-blown binge eating that helps them start the process. It's definitely harder for, and for my clients who don't binge. And I also think it, it helps them to feel more positively through the recovery process. The people yeah. who struggle with binging, because when you're free from that, like that, just, you literally feel like you're going insane because it's like, you, you feel like some demon has possessed your body and you just, you can't understand why you switch into this mode and you just can't stop eating. And then you just go through these cycles every single week. Like, okay, maybe this will be the week where I finally stop. And then it happens again. And it's just so freeing when that just stops. And like, you know, when, when you, when my clients are ready to really let go of restriction, like it just stops once they, once they do the things, it just goes away. And that's just feels so positive that, Yes, it's hard when they're gaining weight and they're working through emotions around that. But my clients who don't binge, they're more likely to look back at their eating disorder time and like be like, oh, like, you know, I missed that. Like things were better than even though they weren't, but they are more likely to see it through that lens, you know? I mean, I agree with you. Like the binge eating, once that is gone, that just lifts such a huge burden off of your shoulders it's like this dark cloud that's kind of always circling over your head and you're always thinking about it when it's not there anymore when you're free from that you know feeling of powerlessness and losing control it's true I mean it's not saying that you're going to have perfect body image and everything's going to be amazing but definitely that that fear of weight gain is eased a little bit because you're just you're, you're able to feel so much better overall whereas when you are coming from that restrictive perspective especially if binges aren't happening if they're not happening yet, or they just aren't happening, you know, at all, it's more challenging to break away from it. It is a different mindset for sure that's involved. It's more of like that. You said before that anorexic mindset where, you know, your brain chemistry is literally working differently and your brain is almost tricking you into being more satisfied without eating at all. And so moving into actually eating is so much harder and that the fear of weight gain is so strong. It's just, yeah, it's really a really tough place to be. Yeah. And do you see clients like on both of those types of different ends of things as well? I see clients more so mostly on the binge eating side of things. I actually just took a job that'll be happening once a week at a counseling center for teens who Mm. it's, it's like mostly therapists. I'll be the only dietitian there and it'll be primarily teens with anorexia um, and bulimia as well. So I'm doing a course on family-based therapy right now, which is really interesting. And it's just kind of talking a lot about how from the beginning, we don't necessarily want to explore so much of the why the restriction is happening, why the eating disorder is happening. We want to focus really on refeeding and weight restoration because when you are in that kind of really restrictive state, your brain is not in a place psychologically where it can actually rationalize recovery and it can't rationalize the fear of weight gain and working through that. It can't do any of that. We have to do the weight restoration first in order to be able to get into the deeper why and talking about those kinds of things. So yeah, which is totally different from what I do in my private practice. So it's just really interesting kind of learning about it. And I'm sure it'll be a journey (laughs) starting to work with teens and parents, which is not what I do. I work with adult clients primarily. So 
yeah, it's, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That'll be really cool. And yeah, it makes sense because obviously when you're, when you're in that restricted place, you're just not thinking clearly, but I wonder like, how do you get the, the client to eat then? You know, how do you get them to eat if they're that's so, I, I mean, I know people, I'm, I know people do this in eating disorder treatment centers when they're seeing clients mm. with, or patients with like full-blown anorexia. Um, and from my clients who've been in eating disorder treatment, the way they describe it is it's very much so like forced. Cause they're like, like they're there and it's like, you have to do this. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is forced it's in family-based treatment. It's with parents and parents are the ones who are kind of like in control of the eating. And so the dietitian works really closely alongside parents to help figure out meal ideas and how to support the parents in helping their child through meal times. You know, I, I did have a client a little while back who was in recovery from anorexia. She had already done um, like other treatment earlier in her teens. And so she was in her like young adult years and we actually did meal support together. So like we would come on zoom three times a day and we would eat together and, and that was really helpful for her. And that was kind of her way of in effect doing this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's super tough. And it is kind of forcing, like it is doing what your body is screaming at you not to do a hundred percent. So it's not a nice process, but it's what's needed to get your, your brain into a place literally where it can actually rationalize like why you're doing this. Because yeah, when, when you're in that restrictive place, it's like your brain's telling you hell no, but yeah, your body is like dying. And you don't need to be underweight on the BMI category in order to need to weight restore. You can be in a quote unquote, like healthy or overweight or even obese BMI, according to those categories, and still need to weight restore. It's not just people who are really underweight that deal with these restrictive mindsets and these anorexic behaviors. It's super dangerous and super harmful, regardless of what weight you're at. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, that is super interesting. Yeah. And from all of this restriction, I mean, I know something that you also talk about a lot is hormonal dysfunction. How do clients know if they, or if they've even lost their natural cycle, if they're like on the pill or on an, I have an IUD that would maybe prevent them from knowing what their body is actually doing. How do you kind of work with that? Yeah. So, you know, when I'm seeing clients for hormonal things, it's usually a client's coming to me because it's mostly because they've lost their period. And so, you know, they're yeah. dealing with that the period, the missing period is just one thing. And they're dealing with um, other things in their relationship with food, sometimes binge eating, sometimes not. Um, but with a client who comes to me and they're dealing with, they're coming to me primarily for like their relationship with food and binge eating. Um, I'll ask them about their hormones. We always look into that. But for my clients who are on the pill, there's really not much that you don't, you can't know if, if, unless you go off the pill and see what your yeah. cycle does, you can't know. Cause the pill works by, you know, preventing ovulation and kind of shutting down the reproductive cycle. Um, with an IUD, it's a little bit different, you know, with a hormonal IUD, sometimes it prevents ovulation. Sometimes it doesn't, mm -hmm. um, with a copper IUD, it doesn't prevent ovulation, but it can still make your periods a bit irregular. Um, so, you know, it's really, 
It really depends on the client. And a lot of times if someone's coming to me just for binge eating and they are on hormonal birth control or some sort of, you know, IUD or something like that, we're not looking into their cycle that much unless they want, unless they want that support. Um, but my belief is that if you are, unless you have some other hormonal condition, if you just go through recovery, then any hormonal issues that may have been cropping up due to your disordered eating are going to resolve themselves. Um, unless there's like a deeper problem going on that needs like medical intervention or something like that. So that's what I always tell my clients when they ask that I'm like, you know, if you ever do go off the pill, your body will be benefited by you just going through recovery and, Mm -hmm. you know, your cycle will be much more likely to be, to come back and be regular when, and if you start having natural cycles. Yeah. I think that's a really, that's a really good point. And a lot of people, I mean, hormones are pretty hyped up right now in terms of like social media. And I don't know, everything on my TikTok is like, balance your hormones and like your hormone mm. meals and like, let's do a hormone detox and all these things. And I'm like, oh, this is nuts. Like there's so much misinformation out there, but it is true. I mean, disordered eating and eating disorders are one of the main like causes in young women for hormonal dysfunction and for amenorrheas. And so just going through the recovery process in general and clearing up any disordered eating that you have going on and eating disorder tendencies is going to benefit your hormones. First and foremost, you don't need to do any of these other like crazy things. (laughs) Just focus on regular eating and establishing regular patterns and balance first and then see what's left, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, blood sugar, sleep, stress, um, cortisol, leptin, insulin, all these hormones are so involved in your reproductive hormones. And, um, all of those things are wildly disrupted when you have disordered, even just chronic dieting, like, and, and, you know, a lot of exercise that's like forced paired with some sort of restrictive eating, even if you don't have a full bone eating disorder that, Mm -hmm. that affects your sleep. It impacts your stress levels. It impacts your hunger hormones, Leptin is very related to regular ovulation. Leptin is the hunger hormone. You know this obviously, but for people who don't, leptin is the hunger hormone that helps you to feel like satiated. It basically tells you like, okay, you can stop eating now. You're no longer focused on food and you kind of just feel like you can leave a meal and like feel fine and not be thinking about food. Um, That's what that hormone is responsible for. And when that is, when you're restricting, that hormone becomes lower And it kind of, it's like this whole, um, sort of cascade of hormones that is indicating to your body that it's not in a well-fed state, that energy Mm -hmm. balance is like low and, um, food might be scarce. And then why is your body going to want to, uh, regularly ovulate so that you can get pregnant in this environment where there's not enough nutrients and, uh, whatever. So things like that, like even could not just cause you to lose your period, but just have irregular cycles or even like frequent bleeding because you could have breakthrough bleeding um, and you're not actually getting a regular period. And um, yeah, I don't know why I was going off on that tangent, but basically all these, you know, any, any of, any of these dieting behaviors can have an impact on your hormones. Oh, what I was going to say is, you know, you were talking about your TikTok and how, uh, hormone balancing meals and hormone detoxes and stuff like that. 
sometimes, yeah, like certain nutrients and making sure you're eating consistently, like these things could have a positive impact on your hormones, fiber, stuff like that. But like you said, for so many women, so many women are dieting. So many women are like trying to control their bodies, how their bodies look through exercise and food. And so inherently restricting themselves in some way. And I think for a lot of women, that is a big missing piece for resolving hormonal issues. And this was the case for me, you know, when I lost my period and it was missing for a a while, I was like, oh, maybe I need to go gluten-free. Maybe I need to, you know, cut out dairy. Maybe I need to do a whole 30 because I was getting all that same information when it was like, no, literally you just need to stop restricting. Like when I went through recovery, I was eating all the foods that these people would say are terrible for your hormones. And my hormones were like becoming fabulously restored and like normalized, you know, when I'm eating bagels and chips and brownies, you know, all the things that'd be like, no, that's terrible for your body, terrible for your hormones. So I think any woman who's struggling with a hormonal issue should look at her relationship with food and exercise. I think that was a key soundbite right there. We we need to build the foundation first, right? Like if you're trying to do all these other things without the foundation being there, it's just, you're going to be putting band-aids on bullet wounds. We need to build the foundation of adequacy first and variety, and then, you know, see what's left and then can build on top of that, these other kind of helpful things and nutrients that are helpful and whatever else that, you know, could potentially benefit you more, but we need the basics first, like go back, don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you're stressed out around food, if you're not eating consistently and then you're binging or you're just, yeah, you're, you're, there's inconsistency of nutrients and eating or overall under eating or over exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's not no amount of kale and soluble fiber is going to resolve that. You know, that's a additional mm-hmm. thing that could be beneficial like you said, on top of this solid foundation. Yeah, absolutely. And so maybe switching gears into fitness for a second. um, Something you talk a lot about is like making fitness a part of your life without it consuming your life, which I love. And I definitely say that a lot too. Um, What does that mean for you and for your clients as you teach it? Yeah. So this is thing I've been thinking a lot about lately because, you know, my relationship with fitness is very different right now, having a little puppy and, um, you know, not being, haven't gone to the gym in like three months. And, you know, I love going to the gym. I don't really love home workouts and like, I feel good when I work out, but, um, just the motivation so different when I'm in the gym versus mm-hmm. at home. So it's something I'm thinking a lot about lately. So when I say fitness being a part of your life and not consuming your life, I mainly mean like it doesn't feel like fitness is like this chore and this thing that's like there's anxiety around it because you have to do it um, Mm -hmm. to the point where it's starting to interfere with you doing other things you want to do. Like, oh, I shouldn't go out with my friends because like then I won't be able to like wake up early and go to the gym or um, just or, you know, I can't lay in this morning on the on like Christmas morning and just kind of like chill out with my family because um I need to go to the gym and like get that over with because if I don't go in the morning then I'm really not going to want to go later on and then I'm not going to go today like that sort of thinking um Mm -hmm. where it just feels like it's become kind of like a job for you like I have to go I have to do this not even because it's really making you feel great overall but because 
it feels like if you don't do it, you feel like you're lazy. You feel like your body's changing. Um, you're not getting in the required amount of training to make your body look the way you want it to look. And it's a complicated thing because I do think that I personally feel like you can use, you can use like discipline and, um, like, consistently showing up for exercise in a way that's kind of like a discipline, a practice that can really be very empowering, like for no other reason other than like, I show up, I put in hard physical work and like it, it shows me what's possible for me. It shows me that like, Mm -hmm. I can, um, I can do things that are hard, you know, like, I think that that is such a important part of fitness. And I struggle with that sometimes even personally being like, Sometimes you need this flow and this more feminine energy of like, I'm just going to do what my body feels like today. I don't like need to push myself so hard, but I also think discipline has its place too. And -hmm. I think that physical work is so, um, there's just something special about it. And I think that you can really find that when you're no longer, um, doing fitness to burn calories or because you need to look a certain way. You may still like, you know, I like I like when I have muscles. I like how that looks. I like that look aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that my main motivation to work out? No. If if I ever feel like I feel the desire to work out because I want my body to look a certain way, I always ask myself like, okay, you know, if this weren't going to change my body at all, would I still want to do it? If yeah. I couldn't go to the gym tomorrow for a year because something happened and I couldn't go, like, would I be okay with myself? If I lost all my muscles, if I lost all my glutes, would I be okay? And the answer now is yes. I wouldn't that before that would have been like a sinking feeling of like, fuck no. Like who Mm -hmm. am I without my muscles? Who am I without strong glutes? Like that's my identity, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a nuanced thing in my mind. It's so nuanced it's so nuanced getting to that place where you can, I really like the way that you, you put that, um, you know, have exercise be something that centers around discipline, but genuinely just because it helps you build confidence and like trust in yourself that you can do hard things and you can like put your mind to something and do it. Um, I think that that's so valuable, but it does get really messed up when it's all focused on body goals and looking a certain way. It's, it, at that point, it's not even really, it is about discipline, but it's kind of not, it's, it's disorder more than anything. And that's just yeah. not, that's not something that's going to help you ultimately live your best life and be the best version of yourself and like feel good and actually genuinely confident because so much of it is going to rest on how you look, but not even how you look, like how you feel about how you look. Yeah. 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 It can be very motivated by fear of like, fear of if I don't have this, what do I have? And how will I feel about myself? Um, yeah. And another thing I think too, with the whole like discipline thing, um, I think that one little nuance, cause sometimes I, I, I'll think myself, you know, you know, this is something that I've sort of through different seasons of life, been kind of finding the right middle ground for myself with like, when do I, when is it actually truly benefiting me to like push myself to go and do, do a hard workout or something like that? Um, and when is it just, I'm doing that. Cause I feel like I need to be productive or I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just figuring out when is the good, the right time to push myself. When's the right time to just give myself ease of just like, no, you don't have to do fucking anything today. And I do both, you know, it's kind of just ebbs and flows, but thinking about that, I think if, when I was in my binge eating days, my missing period days, my disordered eating days, it felt like I loved exercise and I, I loved the feeling it gave me, but it felt like many of my workouts I had to drag myself to, like many of yeah. them I had to use discipline to get myself to go to. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm really stressed out in my life, like right now with the dog, where I have like so much on my plate, just fitting things in time-wise is really stressful. Aside from that, if I have the time to go to the gym, like most of the time I really want, like I gen, like I'm energized, I'm bouncing over there. Like I'm excited to get this workout in. And then, so in the, so then if I feel like I don't want to go to the gym, I'm basically like, oh, that's probably my body telling me I need to rest because I always usually want to go, you know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So, yeah. but then it's different. Like if you're a mom or if you have a lot of stress on your plate or time is a factor, then it's more so just about like, all right, I'm just too busy. Like, how do I fit everything in? You know? Yeah. And, you know, checking in with that question, I think of sometimes we know if we actually just take the time to ask ourselves, like, is this going to make me feel better after, or am I going to feel like I'm just dragging my ass the entire time that I'm doing this? And if you're like, I'm going to drag my ass the whole time. And like, after I'm probably going to just feel the same, but more tired, that's a really good opportunity to just back off because it's not for you. But if you're like, you know, no, I feel tired right now, but I know that I'm going to feel better when I actually get there and when I'm doing it. And after that's a green light to say, okay, like maybe let's explore that place of like indifference almost of doing this right now and push myself to actually just do it and get there. And if I want to leave, I can, I don't have to stay for, you know, X number of sets or X number of time, whatever. I can literally leave after 10 minutes if I want to. And I actually think it's really important. And I often get my clients to do this exercise of whether they're doing, you know, an at-home workout or they're going to the gym or whatever, and they're just kind of entering back into it to do that, to literally do it for like 10 minutes to just go or start and then stop. And show themselves and sit with the discomfort. (laughs) Okay, so I've only done this for 10 minutes. But having that out is so important because that just helps you to have a better relationship with it, to have that flow and that ability to push when you need to. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I like that because a lot of my clients struggle with with that when they're, you know, going back to exercise, feeling like there's a voice in their head telling them like, you know, oh, you didn't do enough or whatever. And it's good to be able to sit with that discomfort. Yeah. It's, I think it's really important. It just helps to break down that all or nothing, which is always so so strong in clients who, you know, are experiencing binge eating or just disordered eating in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another thing I just thought of with the whole discipline thing and like when to push yourself, when to rest, I think that I see a lot in the fitness space, and talking about discipline when it comes to fitness, I see a lot of the narrative of like, I didn't want to work out today and I still did it. And, um, you know, no, I never wake up in the morning and I'm like, yeah, I really want to get this workout in, but I do it anyways. And I always feel better after I do it. And I, I think that that's like, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm sure that, 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 that sometimes that makes sense. But when people are describing, like, I see it normalized for it to feel that way every single workout. Yeah, and not I'm like, normal. no, not- that's just not normal. Like you're either like not sleeping enough. Maybe you're waking up too early and like, you're not getting enough sleep or cause, cause even after my recovery, after my recovery, I was in my dietetic internship and 
when I got back to the gym, I was so excited to start lifting again. I had taken like a three month break from exercise and I got my period back. I stopped binge eating, binge eating, whatever. And I was waking up at 5 30 AM most days before my internship going to the gym before. And I was tired when I woke up first thing, when I woke up, but I was excited. Like I would go to bed at night. I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited to lift tomorrow. Yeah. I didn't feel that way. So like People that say that I'm very suspect of them. I'm like, are you dieting? Are you, have you been over-exercising for years? Like, yeah, have you, are you been good? sacrificing <laughs> your sleep for a long time to work out? Cause I just don't think that's normal. You know, I feel like most of the time you should feel like you're ready to go. Like you, yeah. you're excited for it. Yeah. Like maybe you need to take a break and just kind of go full stop for a little while. Maybe you need to find something different to do. Like if you're never looking forward to it and you're only ever feeling good after once it's done, like you're kind of trudging through it. There's, there's something that's a red flag for me too. Like, you know, I get kind of feeling that resistance a little bit before, but if once you start doing the thing, you're not enjoying it and you're only looking for the after feeling, there's something wrong there. Yeah. Cause sometimes maybe the after feeling is sometimes the after feeling you it's so, it's so hard when my clients say like, Oh, but this is something that I like, Oh, but I felt good when I was doing that. I'm like, mm. okay. And this goes for like, you know, when they were dieting or when they looked a certain way, I'm like, but why, why did you feel good? Cause sometimes you yeah. felt good because you quieted the anxious thoughts in your brain. You mm. know, like I felt good after I exercised, even though I was like, felt like after I would work out in my binge eating days, I felt like, okay, I've gotten that done. Great. And then I just wanted to like lay I would do school work after basically. I would just like, basically all I did it was workout school and, you know, eight. And I would just, I remember it would just be hard to get myself to like, get up. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like I would yeah, sit down, I totally. I'd do my, yeah, I would do my schoolwork and then like, like, okay, gotta go walk to class. Like, all right, gotta go up to the kitchen. Like I felt very just, I wouldn't have Brain. thought at the time I was chronically fatigued or anything like that. But looking back, I had way less energy like outside of exercise, you know? So, yeah. But then mentally, if I didn't work out, I would be thinking like, oh, I didn't work out today. Like I shouldn't be eating this or I, all these anxious thoughts would come online. So it's like, are you feeling better because of the endorphins? Or are you feeling better because you're quieting that inner critic voice, you know? Really good point. And definitely some good things to think about for everybody listening is like, where is that good feeling coming from? And is it conditional on, on yeah. certain things? Like, can you feel good even if you don't exercise? That's really important yeah. as well. If, if it's only resting on whether I did this or not, big red flag. Yeah. And that matters. Like, it seems like maybe it's just a silly little nuance that doesn't matter, but it does matter because you could have like more of the good without the bad, without the anxiety and the stress around it. That just creates yeah. more anxiety and stress in your life, which isn't good for you, you know? So that's why it matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so any, any final words or thoughts for everybody listening before we wrap up? I hope that some of the stuff we talked about fitness hormone wise gives you something to think about. I feel like always what, what comes to mind when I'm talking to people who are in this place, it's always has to do with like the why and the motivation to start recovery and to like go yeah. through recovery. But yeah, I think it's just, I'm almost tired of continuing to tell people why they should start recovery. Yeah. <laughs> do it if you, if you really, if you really want to be free, like then you just got to do it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah, I guess I'm that's, it. That. that's, 
That's my jaded message for you all. (laughs) No, I love it. It's real. (laughs) And so where can people find you? Primarily, you can find me at the binge eating dietitian on Instagram. And I also have TikTok, which I believe is also the binge eating dietitian. And then my podcast, the binge eating dietitian podcast. Very consistent. I love it. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really nice having you. We had a great talk and I think that everybody listening is going to find a lot of value in what we chatted about. So thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, everybody. See you next week. Bye.